From Vermont Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. Today is Friday, September 7th. If you're listening to this show, chances are you spend time every day following the news and thinking about politics. And if you're like me, sometimes you want to turn off that part of your brain by watching some TV or a movie. But according to one local scholar, you may be getting more of your politics from those sources than you think. We just have this focus on the news. We just seem to be missing all of these political messages. This whole territory of media that people are exposed to that contain political messages that might have an influence on people's views. Jack Gerzinski is the chair of the political science department at the University of Vermont, and he just released a book called The Political Effects of Entertainment Media, How Fictional Worlds Affect Real-World Political Perspectives. You know, if you think about the shows, movies, books, video games that you do just for fun and that don't have any representation of U.S. government and politics or politicians, those are the ones that are pure entertainment. They're not about politics. They're about something else. But the content that they have inevitably touches on the political in some way. And what you're arguing at the outset in this book is that those things that we might consider more pure entertainment that we're not looking for any political messages from might actually be more effective at delivering political messages because we kind of have our guard down. Can you explain that a little bit? Definitely. And just to make sure I attribute it right, I mean, I'm not the first one to make this argument. There are other people who have written about this who argue that when you are Uh, following a story, a fictional narrative, the way your mind operates is very different than when you are processing information. And that is when you are immersed in a, a fictional story, you're transported to that story. And the theory is called narrative transportation theory. You know, if you react in a movie certain ways or shout out something or those kind of reactions that you want to do while you're watching. For me, it's fear of heights. Anytime there's a scene, I I grip my chair and I'll I'll like lean back and it's not rational. And that's the whole point. When we're, we're transported, we're not thinking, yeah, we're not there. We're actually thinking we are there. We're part of that story. When you're in that state, uh, you leave the real world behind you, including all your perceptual screens, and you're just accepting the reality of that world you're in. You have to do that in order to enjoy it. So right. you transport it completely into that. And you're not counter-arguing. You don't really even have the resources in your mind to counter-argue the messages that are in the story, let alone you're, you're probably not aware of most of the sort of political messages or lessons that I'm talking about in this book. These aren't overt political messages. These aren't uh, about Republicans or Democrats or ideology or anything along those lines. These are a lot more subtle than that. One of the shows Jack studied is Game of Thrones. If you're not familiar, Game of Thrones is an HBO series based on a set of fantasy novels. It takes place in a fictional, sort of magical world called Westeros. It's also a brutally violent show where the good guys tend to lose and the bad guys tend to win. Game of Thrones stood out as something that was really qualitatively different than most shows. And it was following in a trend of of HBO shows, if you would, uh, such as The Wire, that seemed to contradict or go against the norms of storytelling and entertainment media. There was something that was really different about them. What is that something? What... 
Well, that's the, the, the process was the first we identified is, wow, there's something different going on here. Yeah. And then how do we get to that? And so I had conversations with my students in my seminar, and we, we talked about it quite a bit. And then in the process of doing that, I remembered actually some research I did back as a grad student in attribution theory and how we explain what happens in the world. And one of the attribution biases was this belief in a just world. Uh, that if you believe the world's just, you tend to attribute uh, outcomes in society to the individuals who are involved in whatever it is you're trying, you've witnessed or trying to explain. And so I, I grabbed onto that, had the students read about that, and we, we took it from there. And so you would kind of, through surveys, look at how people kind of fell on, on the spectrum of belief in a just world after watching a lot of Game of Thrones. The class and I designed a survey first. Then we followed that up with an experiment. The next semester I taught the course, we did an experiment so we could actually establish some sort of causal relationship that sure. uh, if you randomly assign people to experimental control groups, they should be equal before the exposure. And if they're different afterwards, that should be attributable to the experimental manipulation, in this case, watching Game of Thrones. You talk about these findings being somewhat separate from political ideology or party affiliation or that sort of thing. But you're studying this because belief in a just world does have some set of indicators about where somebody might land on certain public policies. Can you explain what the outcomes are there? In a way, it's, it's kind of a precursor to ideology a little bit. The research has found connections, not my research, other researchers have found connections between this just world belief and attitudes on support for government programs to address problems in society. So if you think good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, you know, you just follow the logic of that, that if someone asks you or if wants to know if you support government programs to help the poor, odds are you're going to be less likely to do that if you believe the world is just. Hmm. And that applies to a number of other policy areas as well, like affirmative action and uh, criminal justice areas as well, I believe. Gotcha. Jack and his students also looked at the Netflix series House of Cards. In this show, Kevin Spacey plays Frank Underwood, this ruthless U.S. politician who, spoiler alert, misbehaves and manipulates his way to the presidency. We found some evidence that House of Cards viewers also had a reduced belief in a just world. But on that show, too, the interesting thing when you deal with politics directly is, you know, it's not, as I said, you know, partisanship or ideology. In fact, Frank Underwood scoffs at ideology. Uh, but, you know, this notion that he can do whatever he wants to do and get away with it, and that people like that are rewarded, that he, he can push a reporter in front of a train and kill off a, a congressman and, and rise all the way to the presidency, that challenges your sense that, you know, the good people are rewarded and bad people are punished in our society. And so your findings there were that had a similar pattern, but to somewhat of a lesser degree Correct. than with Game of Thrones. So mm -hmm. that kind of bears out your theory that the show with the less overt political content is actually subjecting people to more serious effects on their beliefs. Definitely could be interpreted that way. It also could be that the difference between the show's Game of Thrones was a lot more brutal. Yeah, brutal in terms of the, the graphic nature of what happens to the people who try to do the right thing. Certainly a higher body count yes. across the board. 
but yeah, there are a lot of similarities. One of the similarities too that I find interesting is that these are both shows that are kind of these vanguards of this new era of uh, these kind of densely plotted shows that people often binge. They just sit and really immerse themselves in it. Do you find that that also kind of leads into that transportation theory that you were talking about? Certainly. And it's almost like reading a book, which, you know, when you read a good book and you're transported in that, if you just think about the fact that sometimes you're not even aware of what's going on in the room around you. Uh, and in fact, I think House of Cards labels its episodes as chapters uh-huh. uh, in that way. So it does enhance the transportation effect of those shows. Jack said another reason people stick with House of Cards is because they identify with its main character. Throughout the show, Spacey actually turns to the camera and talks directly to the viewer. The road to power is paved with hypocrisy and casualties. If you identify with the character, you start to see the world through their eyes. And in doing so, you inadvertently pick up perspectives of that character as they go through the plot lines or the narrative. Researchers have shown you walk away with those perspectives as well. Hmm. And that can alter your perspectives or add new perspectives to how you see the world. That's interesting because in a lot of these modern cable dramas, like the ones that you've talked about here, we've heard a lot about the rise of the anti-hero and this person who you you kind of identify with, but also you know they're they're sort of a bad guy. Like, like they Frank have these Underwood. moral failings. Exactly. And so does that affect people's level of identification with those people? I think it leads to a certain amount of conflict, but there still may be aspects you pick up from it. Early on, when he was a member of Congress, and he was involved in the campaign finance scandals and then ended up being VP, and they were investigating the campaign finance scandals, I remember like feeling anxiety for Frank Underwood that he'd get caught. So I was like, wait, what am I doing? You know, I study this. I've written, you know, I wrote a book called Money Rules on campaign finance. And <laughs> no, he should get caught. But we're so transparent, we're so identifying, and we're identifying with this horrible guy. I think eventually you, you divorce that, or from that you break away from that identification from a certain, certain respect when he goes too far, pushing journalists in front of trains, whatever. But that show, the, you know, the fact that you could binge watch it, the fact that Frank Underwood turned and talked to you, and I quoted that in the book where after he pushes Zoe Barnes out in, fr- in front of the train, he's like... He turns to the camera and says, you think I forgot about you? Did you think I'd forgotten you? Perhaps you hoped I had. Don't waste a breath mourning, Miss Barnes. Every kitten grows up to be a cat. It really draws you in. And up until that point, those those conversations, you felt like you you were part of this and you were drawn in. Uh, And so you find yourself identifying with characters. It can modify your behavior. I mean, there's plenty of research that shows, you know, if if a character you identify with smokes, that you might actually take up smoking, that smoking in entertainment affects the rate of smoking among the public. So we know those effects happen. Why not politics? Watching Mad Men could be terrible for your health. (laughs) Exactly. But then... You know, watching House of Cards isn't going to make more people push more people in front of no, trains, is no, it? No, that's no, not at all. But it's going to make you cynical about the politicians. And in a way, Frank Underwood drawing you in and then showing what a monster he is, go, oh, you know, that, that will feed your cynicism big time. You'll, you'll pull away and go, wow, these are horrible people. 
From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York. Speaking of cynicism, you also have a really fascinating chapter on shows like The Daily Show, Colbert Report, especially as it relates to House of Cards, this immersive drama that engenders this skepticism in government. You argue that these other shows that are very kind of sarcastically making fun of the news, making fun of the people in power, are not engendering as much cynicism as people might expect. This harkens back to some research by Jeffrey Bain, who looked at The Daily Show and The Colbert Report. What he argued was that those satire shows are doing something really different from, say, the late-night talk shows where they're flippant jokes more, you know, about making fun of the personalities. That The Daily Show and The Colbert Report were much more about trying to, not intentionally, but the, the, the humor was an approach that was a more skeptical as opposed to cynical approach to politics. How do you define the space between those? So the difference between skepticism and cynicism, a skeptic will hear an argument and withhold judgment until they've heard the reasoning and seen the evidence and then decide. A cynic will just dismiss something right offhand that they don't believe in. So a cynic in politics is going to think everybody's lying everybody's corrupt. And so cynics tend to disenfranchise themselves based upon that and drop out of the system. A skeptic was more willing to weigh, say, all right, let's see if there's some truth to that claim. Let me look at the evidence. Let me look at the reasoning. And so you found that these shows actually left people with some information. They would come to them seeking actual information and that they came away actually better informed than, than people might expect. Yes. Jeffrey Bame actually argued that, the way he put it, they modeled a healthy skepticism in the way that they analyzed the news in the news segments and also when they did the interviews, that it was a discourse that was not a cynical, flippant discourse, but it was one where they said, all right, well, let's take a look at this. And they broke it down and they looked at the evidence, the arguments, whether the politicians had contradicted themselves, you know, and so on down the line. So, you know, we hypothesize that exposure to those shows would lead to greater skepticism and lower cynicism. And indeed, through uh, several different studies, ex- those who watched a lot of the Daily Show and Colbert Report, uh, you know, evinced a much higher level of skepticism and a lower level of cynicism. And that was in complete contrast to the House of Cards, where the exposure to House of Cards led to higher levels of cynicism, not skepticism. And do you think that that specifically has to do with the way House of Cards delivers its view of the world through sort of a fictionalized version of things? I think the messages are much more cynical there. And it ties into that just world a little bit in the sense that those people who are trying to do the right thing, and there are those out there in politics, believe it or not, (laughs) (laughs) that, you know, they're portrayed as naive or stupid and they're overrun by the more clever politicians who are much more cynical. It's interesting with House of Cards specifically because it mimics reality, but it's such an exaggerated version of it. You know, it's it's sort of a fictional world, but it's sort of not. Compare that to something like The Daily Show, The Colbert Report. There could be an argument made that they're actually pretty similar, where those shows are just kind of giving us an exaggerated version of something that's really true. Colbert is kind of an exaggerated version of a Bill O'Reilly type. You know, there's there's a lot of parallels there. Parody. Yeah. Right. And definitely with Colbert, it's parody, but 
the the result is different and that's that to me says something about the causal effect of those different shows best way to illustrate this the interviews that John Stewart and Stephen Colbert had same night with Spacey and Willimon my guest tonight created house of cards please welcome Bo Willimon do you really think this is how Washington works do you think this is a depiction of a Washington that people recognize uh, look it, one thing they do recognize is that in our show, as in the real world, we have a Washington that is paralyzed by political gridlock. You know, both Spacey and Willeman said, yeah, definitely, this is, this is how Washington works. I don't believe them. I don't believe what they say. I don't think they're being absolutely sincere. I think it's performance art. And most of them are bad actors. Both Stewart and Colbert, it's almost as if they threw their hands up. You can't, really? You know? No, it came across pretty clearly. They thought that these guys were being far too cynical, that Stuart and Colbert thought that Spacey and Willeman were being far too cynical in terms of their portrayal of what takes place in Washington. And that's kind of, that to me, that struck me as very interesting and a really good illustration of that difference between the shows. It brings up something really interesting, though, which is that, you know, all these shows you talk about in here, we kind of treat them like these giant entertainment properties, but they're made by people. Did you look into, in your work, the political leanings of the people who made these shows and the degree to which the shows might have been influenced by real-world politics? No. I'm interested in the effects as opposed to what's driving it. But in my mind, these are either telling a good story or getting people to laugh. Sort of. That's what, in my view, drives them. And, you know, if you go back to that belief in a just world, the reason why most of our fiction before shows like Game of Thrones came along reinforced the belief in a just world is because we wanted stories with happy endings. We wanted the fairy tale endings. And, and that meant that's how those shows were produced. And that has that sort of conservative effect on us, but that's not the intent. It would be really hard to argue that was the intent of those people who produced those stories. It's just they know that their audience wants this to turn out well for the heroes. Uh, and you'd have to be, in some of these cases, you'd have to be very clever to design these programs in a way to have the effects we're talking about. So like if I'm running a political campaign or I want to sway public opinion on something, the shortcut is not to pitch an HBO miniseries. Definitely not. You know, you think about the research we did on leadership and gender is another example in there. We did two experiments, or I did two experiments on uh, the way leaders are portrayed in fiction and what traits they exhibit in that. And what we showed in the experiments is that if the fictional leader models traits that are stereotypically associated with women, that they can actually Im increase the, the viewer's perception of the importance of those traits and make those traits something that they want to see in leaders and that to then have an impact on uh, support for female candidates in executive positions. Nobody designs those shows that way. I mean, you, once you become aware of that, that might be the case that they can then, all right, well, you know, we gotta, we gotta change how we portray leaders in some ways. But I don't think there's intent behind most of those, all right, the leader's gotta be tough and assertive and like Captain Kirk or whatever, as opposed to Doctor Who. It's another one of those kind of storytelling tropes that just comes out of trying to give people what they want to see. Exactly. So that's sort of, that's why I stay away from intention. One thing I was left wondering with, and partly because we at Digger spend most of our time talking about state and local politics, is that, you know, all this entertainment media is happening at a national level. 
to what extent do you think those effects might influence somebody who is voting here in these smaller elections we have here in the state? Well, you know, someone running for governor. If fiction shows us good models of leaders that exhibit traits of compassion and uh, listening more to followers and, and, you know, but traits that are more stereotypically associated with women, that might pave the path for people more likely to vote for a female candidate for governor, for example, so at the local level, or the tolerance message that might pop up, acceptance of people for diversity on the diversity basis. That applies at the local level big time, including in elections at the local level. And I want to be clear that I'm not talking about entertainment media is the only source. It's not the only source of your views, but uh, it can help shift people on their views. It can help reinforce people's views. And so if entertainment media is creating a more tolerant climate, that can have an impact at the local level. So you established that these effects take place. Do you believe that those effects are positive or negative? Do you think that people should be coming at their media with a more critical eye? Yes, in the last part, should be coming at the media with more critical eye. And that's, the, you know, if you become aware of this sort of thing, it's going to be less likely to affect you. But you have to have quite the awareness of all the different ways. But a positive or negative effect, I don't think it can be boiled down to that. There are a lot of both out there. And it just depends on storytelling conventions and propelling certain aspects of our culture that then spread that throughout the rest of the culture or reinforcing. And reinforcing effects are really important as well. Reinforcing certain biases we have as a culture, like we're a highly individualistic culture. We believe the way to solve problems as an individual. Every election year, we look for an heroic individual to come along and, you know, it's Obama or it's Sanders or Trump or whatever. Uh, and that's the way we see our politics. And I think that's how things are modeled in our fiction as well as part of our culture. They reinforce it and they put blinders on us as to maybe other possible ways of selecting leaders. Got it. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for your interest. You can learn more about Jack's research at vtdigger.org. His book, again, is called The Political Effects of Entertainment Media, How Fictional Worlds Affect Real-World Political Perspectives. If you're a regular listener to The Deeper Dig, just a heads up that we're taking a few weeks hiatus. We'll be back in October with brand new episodes. You'll see them first if you subscribe to the show. Just use the links on our site or search for it in your favorite podcast app. That's also the easiest way to dig into our archive. We've done deep dives this year on voting rights, marijuana legalization, domestic violence, and tons of other topics that are worth your time. Check them out, and we'll see you next month.